Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal worship service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. This morning is from Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, and it's the tenth commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. You shall not covet. In Romans 7, the Apostle Paul says that it was this commandment, the Tenth Commandment, that showed him what sin was. If you think about it, this commandment, out of all ten of them, really brings home how deep the law reaches, or how great are the expectations of our God for us. You could worship God, reject idolatry, Refrain from cursing, honor the Sabbath, honor your parents, refrain from murdering, adultery, theft, and false witness. But without the heart, all that is dead. It's nothing. It's all false. On the outward, on the outside, outwardly, you can do all of that and still be completely dead in your spirit. God's holiness and his subsequent requirement for his people's holiness cannot be merely outward. God wants all of us down to the deepest depths of our beings. And in this commandment, we learn that our very desires are in demand. And this is where we all fall short. Every one of us. This is where it all started for all of mankind, too. Remember? Eve desired what was not for her. She coveted the fruit. And coveting is the sin of desiring what belongs to your neighbor. And it can even be described as resenting what belongs to him or her because it does not belong to you. And here we learn that that is not allowed. True holiness is about learning the defiling effect that this sin has. It's about recognizing that we are fundamentally twisted because in our hearts we want what it is not right for us to have. And this false desire is idolatry. And it brings forth fruit, and ultimately that fruit is death. So what is right for us to desire? Jesus tells us, set your desire on things above, not things on the earth. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now this is very fundamental, it's key here. Notice that God does not want us to get rid of desire. Desire in itself is not evil. He doesn't want us to lose our desire. He wants us to sanctify it. His prohibition, thou shalt not covet, is because he wants to give us so much more. 
He wants to give us himself. He wants us to desire him. And we need to give up our desires for anything less than him. Because man cannot serve two masters. If, if we give up mammon and seek God, then he gives the world to us in Christ. This reminds us of our need to confess our sins. So please kneel if you're able and willing. Sorry if I may be sounding a little repetitive each week as I recount Paul's situation. Um, it's just that Luke is really taking his time and he's really enjoying telling the story, and so I kind of want to get into it with you guys. And so we we keep coming back to it. It's it's a great story, and we pick up our narrative of Acts 22, where Paul is on the steps, on the on the on the, on the steps of the fortress Antonia. It's a big tower that, that Herod had built. He named it after his wife, Antonia. Um, and uh, Paul's there on the steps. He's just been rescued by the commander, Claudius Lysias. We know what his name is because in the next chapter, chapter 23, there's a verse where he writes a letter and he, he puts his, his name, Claudius Lysias, to the governor. So Claudius Lysias is the name of the commander. He comes and, and he rescues Paul from this mob who's attacking him. And Paul then asked Claudius for permission to speak. And Claudius was surprised, because Paul is not who he expected him to be. Paul, Claudius thought that he was some Egyptian rabble-rouser, some ruffian. And Paul then speaks to him in Polish to Greek and says, may I, may I speak? And he says, what, you, you speak Greek? And, uh, and Paul says, yes, yes, I'm, I'm a Jew, and I, I'm from Cilicia, which is a, 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 ma a major city. And so, uh, so he gives Paul permission to speak, and and this presumably would have been a lifelong dream of Paul. You know, Paul would have been—he's been a Christian now for about 28 years, and and his heart yearns for his people, the Jews. Um, and so, you know, ever since he, he he became saved, he spent three years in the desert. You know, just really getting it into his head. And then he goes to Jerusalem, and Jesus tells him to get out of town. That's, that's what he says in his, in his message that he gives to the Jews. He's like, I came back to Jerusalem, and Jesus said, go, go. So he had gone, and, and now he's been out ministering to the Gentiles for about 15 years. He's, he's gone on three missionary trips. He's established churches all over uh, the eastern half of the Roman Empire, in Greece and in Turkey, uh, and, and, and in Syria. So he's, he's just spreading the gospel all over the world to these Gentiles. And he's been, he's been at this for 15 years. And now he's come back to Jerusalem after his third missionary journey. And, and he's got a yearning for his people. In fact, in Romans, he wrote to the Romans, he says, and he wrote it on his way to Jerusalem. He says, you know, I would, I would trade in my salvation if I could save my people. He says, as God is my witness, I, I love them that much. And so he comes, and he, here he's in Jerusalem. He's purified in the temple. 
and he and, and he gets mobbed by Jews from Asia. They, they, they stir up a crowd, and, 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 and he's mobbed, they're killing him, and Lysias stops the, the, the tumult. He's, that's his job, is just keep peace in Jerusalem. And so he stops the tumult, and, and, and Paul, he gives them, Paul, permission to speak, because Lysias wants to find out what is going on here. So Paul's just fulfilled this lifelong dream, he's just finished his address, or at least he was forced to stop here. He got, he got far enough into his testimony that to the point where he said, Jesus Christ sent him on a mission to the Gentiles. And that's where the crowd just plugged their ears and started throwing rocks. You know, they just were done with you. You're not fit to live. So today, that's where we, that's where, that's where we finish. Today, as we go forward in this story, we see that Paul is protected yet again by the mighty hand of God... Because this mob renews its attack on him. They're, they're ready to kill him again. But Lysias saves him from the mob again. But we're going to see that's not because he's so concerned about Paul's well-being. He, 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 he just wants to find out what's the big deal. What's, he wants to get to the bottom of the matter. And, but God delivers Paul, not by the hand of Lysias, but, well, by the hand of Lysias from the mob, but then from Lysias... By the law of Rome and, and, and Roman citizenship. Now, extraordinary providence by ordinary means makes a great story and a terrific testimony. It, Paul is bearing witness. Luke is bearing witness of how God works with us and for us in the world that we live in. Our first point this morning is a point that Luke has made many times in the book of Acts so far, and that's that the gospel brings opposition. Acts 22, verse 22. Paul just finishes, or he stopped giving his testimony. This is, and they listened to him until this word, and then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. So Paul's message was passionate, convicting, and as I, as I, just told you, and I told you last week, that Paul, Paul yearned for the Jews. But, um, he, he just told them how much he wanted to, to minister to them. In fact, when Jesus came and appeared to Paul in the testimony that he just gave in this, 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 this message, when Jesus came to him in Jerusalem and said, you need to go, they're not going to accept your, 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 your testimony. He said, but Lord, Lord, I persecuted the church. I I approved of Stephen's death, the the martyr that Stephen. I mean, I understand they, they'll get me. I mean, I, I I was with them. I was just like them. And Jesus simply said, "No, you need to go." And that's when Paul left Jerusalem. But that's where our text picks up now. Paul was obviously a polarizing figure. He's like Jesus. Jesus told us that you can't serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and, and love the other, or you'll despise the one and, and love the other. Now this text reveals that this crowd was a crowd that chose other than Jesus and his witness Paul. They put Jewish nationalism. They, they, they put material 
glory. They wanted a, a, an earthly kingdom. They put mammon before the living God. Paul had just borne witness to them of the living God. I mean, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? He is God in the flesh, and he's alive. And he is master and controller of everything. And Paul bears witness to him in his testimony. They didn't object to what Paul had witnessed beforehand in his testimony. That's not when they stopped him. It wasn't when when Paul said, I was on my way to Damascus, and then I saw a light from heaven, and Jesus spoke to me out of the sky. And he said, stop persecuting me. So Paul says, he says that part of the story, and he keeps going on. They, they listen. They're hearing what he's saying there. So he's, he is telling them that what he is saying is from the mouth of God. And in fact, the thing that they, they had objected to was also the words of Jesus. Paul, this is what Paul had just said, and I'm going to give it to you in the, in the DGV. The, it's, it's the Dirk's Greek version. Um, I, for I to the ethne, that's the, the nations or the Gentiles, far away I send you. That's, those were the, 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 that's the last sentence that Paul said, or Paul said in his testimony. And he was quoting what Jesus told him. He says, for I to the Gentiles, far away, send you. So the very words of Jesus are what stir up this mob to say things like, Away with such a man, for he is not fit to live. Because he's bearing testimony to the fact that the living God has said that salvation is for Gentiles. Now these Jews have placed mammon before God. And they reject Jesus. So in that culture, at that time, Paul was judged by the mob to be not fit to live. As we see next, Paul had to be rescued for the second time from the mob by the commander. Verses 23 and 24. Then as they cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging so that he might know why they shouted so against him. Now I've got a couple details about these verses here. The first one is they tore off their clothes and they threw dust in the air. Now that can have different connotations and we're not exactly sure what it means, but it's either a sign of repentance, where you, you know, repentance and ashes, Tearing your clothes would have been a sign of, 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 of repentance or a, a, a kind of self-righteousness. Like, we're holier than what he's saying and, and this is blasphemy. Or it might have been that they were taking their coats off and getting ready to stone him. Uh, either or, but neither one was good. Um, and then scourging was a, a common Roman practice. Um, it, was, it was a method of, of obtaining the truth. Um, and what it was is they, had, they would have strips of, of leather, um, a bunch of them tied onto the end of a, of a stout uh, a stout stick, and they'd have bo- uh, sharp pieces of bone or jagged pieces of metal tied into the leather, and they would use that as a whip 
And they would uh, either string up the prisoner by his hands and hang him in the air and whip his body, or they would wrap his arms around a post and they would whip him that way. And it was, it was actually a type of torture. It was vicious and cruel, and it would often cripple or kill the victim. It would cripple for life or kill them. Now apparently, Claudius Lysias, the commander, thought that since he couldn't get answers from the crowd, they're just yelling and shouting, they wouldn't make sense, and he couldn't get answers from Paul's message because he didn't understand it, and Paul got interrupted, he's going to get answers by putting some pressure on Paul. So he says, let's just, I need answers, I need to figure out what's going on here, let's scourge Paul. Quite a, quite a rescue, isn't it? Paul, Paul's had quite a day today, this day. He starts out purified in the temple, paying vows, trying to make peace with the Christian Jews. Then he's falsely accused and beaten by the mob. Then God sends the commander and saves him from that. Only, And then he gets to fulfill his lifelong dream of preaching to the Jews in Jerusalem, only to be attacked by them as soon as he bears witness to the gospel, the testimony of Christ. And now he's to be put under torture because the commander wants answers. But Christians are not punching bags. God didn't put us on the earth simply to get bruised and beaten and broken and cracked and fed to lions. That's not what our job is here. That happens sometimes. It's very evident if you look at the history of Christianity, the history of the church, the lives of the apostles, the life of Paul. Christians take a hit. Jesus gets crucified. We must all bear our cross, but we don't bear a cross without a purpose. We're not punching bags. We're not put here simply to be beaten. It's not God's goal just to, to be the master puppet playing with us and watch, ooh, wow, that one hurt. That's not what his point is. God puts us here for a reason. Now, quick Christians bear witness to the truth, and that brings them into opposition. People, people object to the gospel. People, Christians suffer, yes. But, but Christians don't suffer without a purpose. They suffer in order to bear witness. God delivers Paul from this scourging yet again. Uh, um, by means of Paul's question, verses 25 and 26. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? When the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander, saying, Take care what you do, for this man is a Roman. So Paul knew his rights as a Roman. And the fact that he was a Roman citizen is going to play a key role in the rest of the book. Now, we, we have encountered Paul's Roman citizenship once before in the book of Acts. Remember when he had been thrown into jail in Philippi? And then uh, the, uh, the, 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 the Lord sends an earthquake and they stay. And the Philippian jailer was converted. And Paul 
But, but Paul's citizenship came out, and the people of Philippi got concerned. The leadership of Philippi said, okay, you can, you can go now. Because they didn't want it known that they had unlawfully bound and beaten a Roman citizen. And he said, are you trying to send us away quietly? And, and so then they came down and actually hand-delivered him out of the jail. Well, here again, Paul calls on his citizenship. He knows his rights as, as a citizen. In Roman culture, the Roman culture was a culture of law and order. It, there was, it was all about maintaining the glory of Rome and, and just peace. They, they, were, they were warriors. They, 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 they maintained their order with the rod, yet that was, that was essential to Roman culture. I mean, that's why these soldiers are here in the first place. One of the primary roles of Roman law was to protect its own. And so they would send outposts of soldiers, these soldiers to these outposts, places like Jerusalem, and set them up in towers there so that they could maintain order and peace. And being a Roman was something that in that culture gave you rights and privileges that others do, did not have. One of them was that a Roman citizen could not be arrested and scourged without a trial, unconvicted. Now, we have, I mean, there are similar situations today. Uh, if you go to a third world vacation destination, uh, the people are treated differently if they're tourists than if they're locals. That there's a different culture there. There's an establishment of, of there, we need to maintain the economy, and so that means if, if, if the tourists are mistreated, that's a problem. Locals can be mistreated with impunity. That's not just, it's not right, but it's, it's, it's akin to what this Roman civilization was like. And the Roman law was very clear. You don't scourge a Roman who is uncondemned. And violators of the law like this commander, are at risk of serious reprisals, loss of commissioning, or even death, depending on the severity of it. And similarly, imposters, and so you'd think then, well, everybody who gets uh, you know, arrested will just say, well, I'm a Roman citizen. But imposters had to face immediate death. It was, it was a death sentence. So, so it wasn't common for people to say, I'm a Roman citizen, in order to get out of a scourging. Um, so Paul would have been able to vouch for his, his, his truth, that he was a Roman citizen. So here we see that Paul avails himself of his rights. He inquires as to the legality of his flogging, hoping to bypass it. And, and we know that Paul was not afraid to face suffering or chains in Jerusalem. This isn't a surprise to him that he's been arrested. He's not afraid to die in Jerusalem. He said that he, he, when he's on the way there with, with, with the prophecies on the way there saying that he would be arrested, that he would suffer. Uh, Paul said he, he, was, he, he, he was not afraid to do all that for the sake of the gospel. But that doesn't mean that Paul was trying to get arrested. Christians are not punching bags. Paul was not trying to suffer for the sake of suffering. He wasn't trying to die for the sake of dying. That wasn't his goal. He was a man with a message. He was a Christian bearing witness. So was Paul in error in seeking to get out of this scourging? Was, was he you know, doing something he ought not as a Christian? 
No, he was not. Christianity is not an exercise in self-abuse. Now, unfortunately, if you look at Christian history, there have been Christians who've interpreted Christianity that way. But usually they're, they're, they're either trying to earn merit for salvation or punish themselves for the guilt that they feel. They, they, they have difficulty accepting God's full and complete grace. Uh, monks, ascetics, pilgrims, um, they would do things like wear hair shirts just to be uncomfortable all the time. Uh, self-flagellation, where they beat themselves, or crawling up stone staircases on your knees until they bled. Um, and, and doing all this for the sake of penance or, or for the sake of punishment because they have a hard time accepting God's grace. And that's, that's, that's an error. And Paul didn't do that. He, he could have just kept his mouth shut and took the scourging. He could have done that. So then the question is, well, what about turn the other cheek? You know, Jesus, Jesus says, you know, if, so he slaps you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. Well, when Jesus gave that command, he was talking about suffering for the sake of the gospel. How do we know that? Well, we know that because Paul clearly says it in regard to his trip to Jerusalem. He says, I'm not afraid to suffer or to die for the sake of the gospel. Paul's a, a minister of Jesus Christ. He's a witness of Christ. He's taught to Christ. He was, he was ready to suffer and die in Jerusalem for the sake of the gospel. Yet obviously, he's seeking to get out of this unjust suffering. And in doing so, he never stops or mars his witness of the gospel. This vlogging would not have been for the sake of the gospel. It would have been for the sake of Claudius' curiosity and perhaps his frustration. He just wants to know. He wants to get to the bottom of this. But God's use of law and authority to deliver Paul bears witness to another aspect of the gospel. And that's that God establishes authority. He is the one who puts the rules in place that are in place. And he does it for a reason. His own reasons. And that means as Christians we must be wise in using them. So let's read about how Paul is delivered. Verses 26 to 29. When the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander, saying, Take care what you do, for this man is a Roman. And the commander came and said to him, Tell me. Are you a Roman? He said, Yes. The commander answered, With a large sum I obtained this, this citizenship. And Paul said, But I was born a citizen. Then immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew from him. And the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman and because he had bound him. Here we see Paul's success at obtaining reprieve from this scourging. In this, Paul uses the authority that existed for his benefit. The biblical principle that comes into play here is this. The powers that be are the powers that be because God wants them to be. This is the principle. The powers that be are that way. The, the rulers that are in charge, the rulers that we have, the authority that we live under 
is the authority that God has placed us under. Jesus, when he was speaking to Pilate, who eventually authorized his crucifixion, told him, you would have no authority unless it were granted from above. The powers that be are the powers that be because God wants them to be. Peter and Paul also teach on governments and, and authorities. And this is what Peter says in 1 Peter 2. He says, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free... In not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Paul's question was not an attack against Lysias. His question was a question of justice and pointing to the authorities that be. Rome has a law, and by Rome's law, which we are under, you may not do what you are doing. Similarly, Paul says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. That's the point. That's the principle here. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Paul was not rebelling against the authority of Lysias. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good, but if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. So the authorities that be are the authorities that be because God wants them to be. So therefore, as Christians, our job is to submit to them in faith. Looking to God, trusting Him because He's the one who's placed them over us. Now, it's easy for us to get all worked up and bent out of shape because we can say, but, but they're sinners. But they're not honoring God. And that's understandable. But it's not excusable as far as being then in rebellion. Now, we do know that Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and earth. That's the Great Commission. And that means that all governments will answer to Jesus for how they exercise their authority. But if we want to suffer for the sake of the gospel, then we need to live in subjection to the authorities that God places over us. And that, that what happens then is if they still persecute, if they still punish you, then you are suffering for the sake of the gospel. You're suffering for the sake of doing, because you did good, you're suffering. That's just like Jesus bearing his cross. That's like Paul being beaten by the Romans. He's suffering for the sake of the gospel. But if God gives you protections, rights, or privileges, it is entirely good and wise to use them for your benefit and blessing. So we have 
boatloads of freedom in our country. We have so much opportunity. It's wise and good for us to use the court systems to establish justice, to point to what's good and right and just, to submit to the authorities that God puts over us. We may not be vigilantes. That's not Christian. Submit to the government, uphold its laws, but rejoice in its protection because it has a God-ordained duty to you. Now, again, human governments are far from perfect. Eventually, Paul will be beheaded by the Emperor Nero. Human governments are imperfect. Jesus was crucified under Rome. Human governments fall short of the mark. But God is telling the story. God is in control. And even those events, Jesus' death, Paul's martyrdom, the suffering of Christians for the sake of the gospel ever since Christ came, all fall into God's master plan. Because Christianity is the establishment of a new world order. The Great Commission. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Paul bears witness to what Jesus says, and that Jesus is alive, and that Jesus is working in his testimony in Jerusalem. God is no longer waiting to overthrow the world. He's already done it. He did it at the cross. The Christians don't need to go about rebelling to the, against the status quo. We need to go about pointing to the real status quo. That's our job. To bear witness because we're messengers declaring the truth of the gospel. And that's that Jesus is Lord. And it changes everything. The gospel changes everything. Jesus changes everything. And he eventually changes who's in charge. Rome falls. Before Rome fell, God converted Rome. Constantine made Christianity a legal religion. In the history of, 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 of Western civilization, we have kings like Charlemagne and Alfred the Great. The Reformation changed the status quo in the church. The Founding Fathers changed the status quo for nations and what is righteous and just in government. God is working in our world and He's establishing His kingdom. And in time, all knees and all tongues will bow before Jesus and confess Him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. concerned about the smallest, minutest, and deepest sorts of things. He cares about our motivations and our desires individually, our, our very hearts. On the other hand, when we looked at Paul before the commander, we, saw, we see how God exercises his rule and his authority 
all the way to supplanting regimes and establishing Jesus' rule over the nations so that all mankind, the whole world, will be saved. The gospel is a message of total victory. God is ridding the world of sin, one heart at a time and in mass, all together as a whole. He did this at the cross and he continues to do it at the cross. When we look at the cross and we celebrate this Eucharist, we are united to Jesus Christ and drawn into his death. And gloriously, by being united to his death, we're united to his life, resurrection life. Because when we look back at the cross, the message of glory, of faith, and the gospel is that Jesus is no longer there. Moreover, he's no longer in the tomb. Jesus is in heaven. He is alive. And he is working for us, ruling over us, and ministering to us every minute of every day that comes to pass. Christ's body broken for you. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.